Today's guest on the podcast is Jasmine, a young lady who had to navigate her parents' divorce, stand up to a non-believing parent and make tough but right choices before she could really commit to following God. My name is Ben Campbell and this is Revival on the Air Today. Jasmine, welcome to Revival on the Air Today. Thank you. So I think you're probably the youngest person I've had on the podcast so far. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm 20 in September. So yeah. The last lady I had on was my mother and she's old. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Jasmine, we know each other because you, you come to the house meeting uh, that we uh, look after uh, in Adelaide. Yeah. Um, but I don't know a lot about your personal testimony. I have heard parts of it before, yeah. but I haven't heard the whole thing. I do know your father as well. Oh, yeah. He's a really <laughs> nice lad. Yeah, like everyone him. knows Reno. <laughs> everyone knows Reno. Um, so where did your journey with God start? Uh, it started when I was about 11 years old. My parents had split when I was 10. And from that, um, I guess dad went searching for something and... I think he was witness to it at some point and he started bringing us along. Um, and by us, you mean? Oh, my sister and I. Yep. Yeah, I have yep. a younger sister. And so we started coming along to the meetings and being young and in this, you know, horrible like parental separation, we were quite reluctant to come along. And so we were kind of digging our heels in a bit. And yeah, and we only got to come every second weekend because of the custody arrangements yep. as well. So it was a bit disjointed. Um, but yeah, that lasted for at least two or three years. Um, and then the custody arrangements changed again. And then it meant that we didn't really get to see dad as much, which meant he wasn't bringing us along Mm. and we didn't get that influence anymore. So had you noticed anything different about your dad when he started coming along? Yeah, it it was a bit overwhelming, the whole situation. Mm. So I guess being 11 and my sister being, um... Yeah, four years younger. She wouldn't have, like, neither of us kind of took that into account. We were just so wrapped up in our own problems that, yeah. But we could see that Dad was really getting involved. Like, he was introducing us to a lot of people. And, yeah, he seemed seemed really keen. And he he wasn't going to waver. He was very much like, this is what I'm doing now. Wow. And we just had to accept it. So, yeah, yeah, and I'm glad we did. Yeah. yeah. Some of the very first things we did outside of the meetings was we went to some of the camps and um, like kids camps yeah kids camps um and it was one kids camp in 2011 might have been a teens camp actually um I was praying in um one of the cabins mm. with some older girls and they were you know really encouraging us too and I'd been praying for a couple of years I still wasn't really sure but yeah I was praying and my suddenly I got all wrapped up in it and I kind of let go and I opened my eyes and they were all staring at me like really shocked and I was like oh I received and they're like yeah and so yeah that was a really amazing moment and so you spoke in tongues obviously yeah, yeah. I guess I opened my eyes and kind of realized I went oh what's that yeah wow <laughs> yeah but yeah so I would have been I think 13 at mm-hmm. the time yeah it was the 9th of October 2011 so 9 10 11 okay um but yeah that was really good and then you were baptised not long after that? Yeah, it was at beach day, so okay. in the ocean it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Um, I guess after that I felt a lot more um, part of the church. Like I was as a kid I was like, oh, if I don't speak in tongues then God's not going to answer my prayers because Dad had received and he was speaking in tongues. 
Um, and so I was kind of feeling a bit left out and I wasn't really sure what my place was. But once I received, I really understood a bit more what the purpose of tongues was mm. and that even if I hadn't received, I could still pray to God. And then after that, a couple of years, I was still coming along when I could. Um, but I guess it got to a point where I didn't really see my dad much anymore because I was full time with mum. Right. And so this is where it starts to get a bit interesting because I'd lost that influence from my dad. So I really had to make a decision myself. And my mum's never been interested mm. in God or the fellowship or anything like that. And so she was kind of trying to convince me, you know, don't go to the meetings. It's, you know, it's bad to play a cult or something like that. And she, yeah, she just couldn't see how happy I was coming along. And so I started a new school and mum really pushed me to say, look, you need to do your homework. You need to focus on these other things. And so... I was, yeah, I was still quite young. I would have been 16, mm -hmm. 15, turning 16. And I was listening to mum more than I was listening to God and what my dad was saying. And so I kind of gave in and I said, oh, okay, well, I guess mum's right. And so for that whole year, year 11, I didn't go to a meeting, didn't go to barely any events. I didn't really speak to anyone from church. And, yeah, it was it was probably like the darkest year and yeah I still look back on it and it's still pretty scary. So what do you mean by the darkest year? Well before then when I was a kid like mum despite not being in the fellowship has still given me some really you know good things to live by like you know you you don't drink alcohol until you're of age mm -hmm. um you know don't go having heaps of boyfriends and oh just being like polite and courteous. Good parenting. Yeah, exactly. And so up until then, like I was still living by that. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't really get up to much mischief, I guess. So I was still good in that sense. But yeah, being a 15, 16 year old and at a new school as well, I was kind of exploring some new things. And so, yeah, she wasn't, she didn't have that same influence. Like I'd kind of tried to be a bit more independent. And so... Yeah, I made some really poor decisions. Um, I didn't go drinking or taking drugs or anything like that. That wasn't my desire. I knew that that was really scary. Mm. So I kind of went down the path of, oh, my parents don't really love me. You know, that's the whole separation, it's like they've always like gotten angry with me for making certain decisions. And so I was like, I don't really feel like they're loving me that much. And so I kind of went, right. I need to get myself a boyfriend. That's the mm. only solution. And, mm. oh, 15, 16-year-old Jasmine was pretty silly to think that. But I look back and, yeah, I could understand why. But that's not an uncommon thing. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I guess at that age you're kind of thinking about that kind of thing anyway. Mm. So, yeah, I was like, oh, you know, I'd really, I really like a boyfriend. And so there was this boy that I'd met and I was kind of like, oh, I guess he's okay. And so I think most of year 11 we were dating, but... I was in that relationship for all the wrong reasons. Mm. And, like, at the end of the year, it ended, and I guess I was kind of glad because it wasn't going in a very good place. But, yeah, I just... That whole year I, after that relationship ended, I realised what a mistake I had made, and I realised at that point that I had to get back to fellowship. It was just... I had to get back to the church, 
where, you know, I was being influenced by good things, by good decisions mm. and not let, you know, loose mm. <laughs> in a school environment, mm. you know, without anyone helping me. So I just realised, yeah, no, I can't live life like that. That was horrible and unfulfilling. And so year 12 was a new chapter. I knew in myself that I had to get to church and I actually had to go against what my mum was telling me. She was saying, oh, no, don't go. You need to focus your year 12. It's a big year. You need to do all your homework. And so... So how did that conversation go? Oh, it it probably lasted around two weeks of kind of we'd talk, it'd escalate, there'd be shouting and fighting and then it would kind of like we'd just separate, like we'd just go into different rooms, we'd just ignore each other for a couple of days and then come back together talk about it again, fight again and shouting and it was it wasn't a pleasant time, but I knew that it was the process I had to go through in order to make the change because I couldn't back down because if I did that I wouldn't be able to come to the church and you know I could have that same year 11 again and that was just horrible. So it's a pretty bold stand to make against a parent at that age yeah. for something so important. Yeah, I would have been 17. And mum is a very strong believer in, like, you know, my house, my rules, and which is fair enough. You know, I am living in her house, but this was something I wasn't going to compromise on. She didn't fully understand all the poor decisions I'd made. She hadn't been really a part of that. And so she didn't notice what I'd gone through. And so then for me to just go, oh, that was really bad and I need to get somewhere, she didn't understand. And so... In her defence, she doesn't understand yeah. the amazing infilling of the Holy Spirit and the importance of fellowship um, yeah. to cultivating that. So Yeah, she's, she would have done what any person who didn't understand yeah, exactly. would do. So I don't, I don't blame her in that sense, but I guess I knew better in that particular element. And so I was like, no, I have to make the stand. And so from then on, our relationship did deteriorate a bit and it was a bit hard to you know, live life at home, still being around her, still, you know, having to talk to her and communicate to her, but this new kind of hostility because of what had happened. But I knew that even though it was horrible and, like, my relationship with my mum still isn't the best, I know that that's what I had to do, um, yeah, in order to, to grow in spirit. So... Yeah, and when I started coming to church things again, that hostility at home would almost be negligible compared to the happiness I would have at church. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, yeah, all the joy and, like, having prayer and singing choruses and, yeah, just being there, listening to the talks. It was just so much better and so it was a sacrifice I knew I had to make and that it was the right decision Unfortunately, this is radio, so no one can actually see the smile on your face <laughs> as you're talking about what joy, obviously, fellowship brings to you. Yeah. Um, you could just see your demeanour, your, your change, your smile just came yeah. really powerful in your face, yeah. Yeah, and so that, that change probably occurred over two weeks, but, you know, still being 17, I'd actually delayed a bit in getting my licence, and so I live quite close to... The Vogue Fellowship, it's about a half-hour walk. Um, and so I, I didn't have my provisional licence, so I couldn't drive myself anywhere. So I started walking to the Vogue. And at first, like, I didn't have a lot of friends, you know, moving around to different assemblies and things like that. So I just would sit there, 
and then help during the break and then I just go home and that's what I did for quite a few months and then um yeah in year 12 um Jack who goes to the Woodcroft Fellowship he was in one of my classes my geography class at school yeah 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 during year 12 so um yeah he had his license and so I was getting pretty good friends with him at that point and so I figured, you know, I'd go to Woodcroft. I know it's further away, but at least I know that there's someone I could be friends with and kind of, yeah, develop more friends, whereas I was just sitting by myself down at the Vogue. And so the bus ride was an hour and a half, and I probably did that for at least two, three months. (laughs) But it was so worth it. Like, I had to leave at 12 o'clock from my house, and then once Jack and I became even closer friends, then he would actually, like, come down, pick me up from my house and then drive me mm. to the meeting. And then sometimes I'd get lifts with other people as well. And so made it work. And, yeah, eventually I got my own car. And so now I drive myself. But, yeah, that generosity really meant a lot in that year. Um, yeah. So, Jez, you've got a few testimonies where God's done some pretty great things for you, but they're sort of all interlinked a little bit. Can you tell me, yeah, can you tell me about them? Yeah, sure. Um, my first major miracle was when I was fresh out of school and I needed a job. So and fresh out of high school? Yeah, yep. yeah. So I just finished year 12 and I decided that a gap year would be the best thing. Um, so that I could save up a bit of money because I wasn't really getting money from much else. So I registered with a like traineeship agency because that was really the only option for full-time work. Otherwise, it would just be casual work. So I went to this agency. My first interview was at Adelaide City Council and had my interview. I thought it went well, but turns out they hired someone with more experience, which didn't surprise me. I didn't have a lot up my sleeve at the time. It's a traineeship. You're not supposed to have any experience. (laughs) Anyway, um, and then my second interview, it kind of came through um, with my neighbour. She said, oh, look, the Mitcham Council, they actually do traineeships as well. So I kind of bothered my consultant at the agency a little more and I got an interview there. And they said that I was, like, outstanding and that, you know, all of that. But if I hadn't have talked to my neighbour, if we hadn't have gone to dinner that night that she told me about it, I don't think I would have gotten that traineeship. What had you done up to that? Like, had you prayed about it? Had yeah. You... First, I initially had prayer about just getting a job. Then when I realised I had to go down the traineeship path in order to get a full-time job, that's when I started having prayer. And then after the first failed interview I had so much prayer and oh I was really worried that if I didn't get the Mitchum one then I'd really be stuck with something I either didn't like or nothing at all so I was having a lot of prayer and getting like my dad to have some prayer for me as well Um, and it was when I was at a saint's house that I'd actually gotten the phone call and I called them back and they're like, oh, yeah, you got it. And I was like, oh, I was so happy that I was just crying at this friend's house. <laughs> but, yeah, and I knew it was of the Lord that he brought that opportunity to me because it's not every day that people just go, oh, I've got this job that could work out for you. So, yeah, that was my first blessing, I reckon, the first major one in my life at least. Um, So then that traineeship allowed me to save up to buy a car Mm -hmm. 
And so a lot of people were trying to weigh in on it, saying, oh, you know, you should get a a decent car so it doesn't break down. And so I had this pressure from a lot of people to get this decent car. And, um, yeah, with that job, I managed to save up $5,000, which got me a really decent car. And the way that I got it was actually a bit unexpected because I'd been searching for a car for three, four, five months with my mum as well. And we just could not find anything that I was happy with. And sometimes I'd go, oh, this is okay. But the mum would be like, no, you can't get that one. And so I just felt like I was at a dead end and I could not find this car. That's a long time to look for a car, Yeah, I know. So then it was one day where I just got so sick of trying to find a car. It was taking up so much of my time, my energy, starting to feel like really emotional about it because I'm just never going to find a car. And so then one night I went and had some prayer just by myself and said, look, Lord, I, I can't do this anymore. I've written this list of all the things that I want in my car and I just I just need you to find it for me because I just I can't. This is taking up too much of my time. And so it was the next day I was at school. No, not at school. I was at work <laughs> and my mum had actually um, texted me saying, oh, look, I found this this car and I was like oh that's weird that it hadn't popped up before but it was because it was 5,000 where at the time I only had like $4,000 and so I was only sticking to that limit and so when we found this car we went and saw it and it was it was perfect like it was everything that I wanted. Everything that was on your list. Yeah exactly like I was ticking it off and it was amazing the only thing was that it was a bit more expensive but yeah we managed to get three months rego included in there and then my dad offered to like lend me some money and so I ended up getting this really good car and yeah it was a long time trying to find it but when I got it it was it was amazing it allowed me to drive to the meetings myself and go where I wanted to go and yeah that was that was a big relief. I love it when it's often at the very end of our our own efforts you know looking for the car, looking for the car, looking for the car, looking for the car. Lord, I give up. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's my prayer. Lord, you just got to take care of it. And that's when, that's yeah. when it comes And it was the next day yeah, as well. Amazing. I expected it to be, you know, maybe a week or even like another month. But the fact that it was the next day, I was like, oh, that's amazing. That's, that's sort of that problem. And yeah. So um, the car that I was looking for was a manual car because I really wanted to push myself to learn a manual um, just because of like, more control. It's more convenient if, if I need to drive a manual car in the future. And it just looked like a heap of fun, <laughs> lots of fun. <laughs> um, I'd driven a bit in my dad's car, but usually with someone else in the car with me. And so at this point, I just bought myself a manual car and it would bring this anxiety over me and I'd, you know, start shaking or, or sweating or I just, I feel like I'd have to pull over and just be like, oh, it's just, it's so hard. And you just feel like giving up because it is so hard. And one of my friends who I had in year 12, she had a manual car, but had to sell it because she just couldn't deal with all that anxiety. And so, yeah, I was sitting there going, oh, I don't think I can do this. And it was one night um, after the play down at Elizabeth I was one of the performers and we'd all decided to go to Macca's afterwards and I had my face paint on and I looked pretty 
<laughs> revolting. I was one of the devilettes, but I was like, oh, I've got for, for those that haven't seen the play, uh, it's about uh, it's about Noah's Ark, or it's called Don't Knock Noah, and you would have been all red, I imagine. Yeah, red well. and black. <laughs> so your whole face was painted red. And yeah, black. Oh, I, I, I didn't look very pretty. <laughs> and I was just sitting there at Macca's with all my friends who had normal faces and just wanted to go home, but... The Maccas we'd driven to, it was really far north and I hadn't been to it before. And so I didn't know how to get home. And so um, my friends tried to explain to me how to get home, but it just seemed so hard that I just went, yeah, I understand, hopped in my car and started driving. But after like three wrong turns, I just got so overwhelmed thinking, oh, I'm so dumb. How is it possible that I cannot find my way home? And so at that point I pulled over and I'd had all the symptoms of my driving anxiety, you know, the sweating, the crying at that point as well. When I I cried out to the Lord, you know, saying, oh, I can't, I can't drive the car like this. It's not fun like I wanted it to be. And it's just, it's unnecessary. I don't need to worry about every little mistake I make that doesn't affect like safety. It's just about me doing five laps around a block, which is a bit unnecessary. So yeah, I just sat there, had maybe five minutes of prayer. And then, you know, I brought myself together, looked at my street directory, went, okay, that's the way home. And I hopped back on the road and I was actually fine. I drove all the way home. And at first I was like, this is odd. Like I'm feeling really confident. And the complete change of the way you were feeling from pulling over, sweating, shaking before yeah. to being completely confident. Yeah, it was amazing. And I just, I was driving in disbelief thinking, is this, is this really happening? And the next day I had to drive somewhere. And before I got on the road, I was thinking, what if that thing happens again? Like, what if it was just a once off? Maybe, maybe I'm going to be anxious again. But sure enough, I got back in the car that day and the same thing happened. I was so like free and relieved of this anxiety that I could enjoy the driving. I could enjoy like changing the gears and timing like gaps between the traffic and, and, oh, it was, it was such a, like a healing. That, That's amazing. Yeah. How long ago was that? Oh, probably end of last year. I can't actually remember, but yeah, it was ages ago now. For That's me, cool. I just go, oh, I can't believe I was so anxious driving. Mm. Now it's, it's so much fun. I, Sure, every now and then I take a wrong turn, but instead of freaking out about it, I just go, that's okay, I'll just go around again, I'll find my way, and I just, I don't worry about it anymore. Yeah, that's brilliant. Oh man, praise the Lord, that's really cool. Yeah, so those are the three major things, having a car, having that job that's Mm. allowed me to save up for the car, and then healed of the anxiety about the car. Mm, Brilliant. What a big transformation. I mean, just a single decision point, really, at the end of year 11. Yeah changed really your whole life yeah yeah um sometimes the tough decisions are the ones that change your life yeah Um, and we we look at them and see you know how the impact of those decisions positively in terms of you know building up your spirit but also negatively perceived negatively in terms of relationships that can be uh that can be impacted by that and so sometimes people don't make the tough decisions yeah but you must be super proud that you did yeah, yeah. Sometimes I look back and just think like, oh, imagine what life would be like if I hadn't have made that decision. But it's like, I, yeah, if I had to do it again, I would because I just, I know what, oh, I just know what it 
ended up as and it was it was great eventually once I got over that small little bump in the road so mm. Yeah. It is really interesting when we think about those types of life-changing decisions mm-hmm. and I'm sure everybody, and I, I certainly can, can look back on their life and say if I'd made a different decision there, how different would my life be? Yeah. If I'd made a, you know, the wrong decision there or even the right decision, you know, how you know, better would my life be? Yeah. And and it actually puts a lot of when you think of it that way, it actually puts a lot of pressure on every decision you make. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> it, was a particularly big one. Yeah. And I knew it was, but yeah. And I think the thing is, you know, particularly when we have natural things that we make decisions over, when we use the scriptures as a foundation for those decisions, mm. then it gives us the ability to make the right ones that have ultimately bless yeah. our lives. And so when you think about, you know, your decision, you know, a scripture that might underpin that is one that talks about, you know, not forsaking the fellowshipping of ourselves together. Mm. And so you, you know, really that's the underpinning scripture of, you know, the decision that you made. Yeah, mm. yeah. Cool. So have you got a favourite scripture for us? Yeah, I've actually got a scripture that relates quite closely to um, my testimony. It's Ephesians 4.14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So why does that mean so much to you? Um, I look back and that's the sort of person I was before I'd made my decision. Just a child who was tossed to and fro. Like I'd believe anything that anyone would tell me because I just, I trusted everyone thinking Mm -hmm. they were all great people. And yeah, I guess specifically like my mum was saying about what her beliefs were and trying to enforce those upon me which didn't include God and so yeah I had to take charge and choose my own path which yeah went against hers but yeah it's I've grown and now I don't believe everything that everyone tells me and I know what my beliefs are and I stick to them so Mm. yeah fantastic awesome thank you so much for sharing your testimony thank you really appreciate it good on you (laughs) No problem. A huge thank you to Jazz for sharing her story. It really does embody the concept that we are just one decision away from a totally different life. If you're listening to this and want to know how you can experience the miracles that God promises in the Bible, then visit www.therevivalfellowship.com. Until our next episode, God bless. God bless.